All right, welcome to another episode of Language for Liberation. I'm your host, Bakari Iverdeen, joined again by my illustrious philosophical co-host, Mr. Barrett Holmes Pittner. I'm going to finesse that every episode. I'm going to try and like add some juice to it. Yeah, yeah, no, add as much juice, add as much juice as you want. Yeah, you know, do it. How you doing today, man? How's I'm, things going? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Just another day, another day of being, you know, a philosophical and stuff. <laughs> I love it, man. Another day in philosophy. Um, and you know what was interesting? Um, you know, a little tidbit. Um, this is August the 14th. We're recording this. We are five months in from our quarantine. I went in on March 13th. I've been in. So yeah, we're five months in, bro. Oh, wow. I kind of forgot <laughs> about that. So my, my birthday is March 15th. And so like we, I think I went in on quarantine on maybe the 13th when the NBA shut down. Yep. And people my girlfriend was like what are you doing for your birthday I was like I'm, what i'm doing is not getting corona like no one's coming <laughs> up to the house we ain't doing anything right. we're locking it down yeah, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> <laughs> had a great birthday no corona no corona birthday right let's keep it that way um <laughs> but yeah man half the year down and we've we've been we've been inside and, and haven't seen each other so um but yeah you know let's get wow. let's get right into it you know today's word is ethnocide which SCL and the Sustainable Culture Lab, you know, we are very, our core of our mission is the word ethnocide and, you know, building a evtopia and working towards it. And so, you know, as you understand ethnocide, there is, of course, the victims of ethnocide, which is, brings us to our word today, which is the ethnocide. So Barrett, as normal, you know, tell us about the word ethnocide. You know, what's the definition? How did you come to the word? And, you know, how does it kind of resonate today? Yeah, yeah, thanks. No, the the ethnocide are the the victims of ethnocide. And there's a lot of there's a lot of complexity to the to the word. So like with genocide, there's not a a, ter- a word for like the victims of genocide. You say victims of genocide. We we thought that there needed to be a specific term for the victims of ethnocide for a couple reasons, but like like one thing with genocide, the reason they didn't label or come up with a term for the victims is because by and large, if you suffer genocide, especially if you're looking at like the Holocaust, that was a five-year horrific experience. Or, you know, genocide might be like a 10-year horrific experience and like you have your culture. So like if it's uh, the Holocaust, you'll be a, a victim of genocide for, you know, five years or either. either. So the reason that there wasn't, isn't a term for the victim of genocide, apart from just saying victims of genocide, is that like your culture, it's it's normally just like a blip and you don't want to define people by like the worst thing that happened to them. Makes mm-hmm. sense. Ethnocide's a little more complex because like ethnocide's slower in many ways. And so it takes a long time. So like there will be people, like say if you're an indigenous person and they took you to like one of those indoctrination schools, like the ethnocide that you experience as they forcefully try to remove all of your indigenous culture and make it so that you only spoke English and you're westernized. That's, that's like a 20, 20 year process that can, that can be, that can be a very long time. That can be your entire schooling. That might be a thing that defines you, that, that right. trauma. And as, and if we talk to the, about the transatlantic slave trade and, and the genocide, the, the ethnocide, that was inflicted upon African people. Like we're talking about a whole system, a whole society of ensuring that like you're born 
being oppressed by ethnocide and you die being oppressed by ethnocide. And so like right. this, this oppression can be something that defines uh, your identity, your culture, because it can last the entirety of your lifetime and it, it can last generations before when I, and in the U S it, it, it has. And so, so that's where it came up with, um, you know, that's why we felt it was important to provide a term because it can actually be quite all encompassing where you, you only know existence with ethnocide as like a constant terror. So, you know, that's really, that was really interesting to say that, you know, the victims of genocide actually don't have a word. And that made me think, it made me think one thing in that, like, why is the, why was there not like a cultural acknowledgement of the people that have to go through this, you know, and in this space, you know, and why, why were they removed from that? Um, so it's really interesting to hear you touch on that. And then on the other side of thinking about oppression and how it defines identity for the ethnocide how does that how do you see that come out in people like how does that affect our community i know that you know we've been through slavery but like how does that come out in our community today well it, com- it comes out in everything like to be honest so you know like we we have conversations about generational trauma like mm-hmm. that trauma is all ethnocide you know, we, we have, if we're talking about health, you know, there's so many issues that are like diabetes, high blood pressure, all that kind of stuff. These health ramifications are do, you know, we'll say like it's poverty or whatever, because, you know, we don't, you know, the word ethnocide is not that readily known. So we, you know, we talk about the generational ramifications of ethnocide all the time. We could say it's due to being poor or it's 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 a legacy of Jim Crow, or it's but like all of that is ethnocidal oppression. The our whole society is based around implementing ethnocide, so like right. it impacts us all the time. Like if you want to say, you know, psychologically or like mentally, how does it shape how we see the world? Well, like that's that's the world that that we see. Maybe this is like a controversial example, but like the the idea of being like the the de- definition of being black or whatnot like all of the the racial terms that america created come from ethnocide for the yeah. longest time if you were a race it was basically you were just a group of people that lived in a per- particular part of the world and just looked the same because you just stayed there like mm-hmm. the african race was not really linguistically different than like the african culture or the African right. ethnicity. It's just like a bunch of people in an area doing their stuff and they look a particular right. way. Just like Europeans and Asians and indigenous people and all that kind of stuff. But once Europeans decided to try to be Europeans, not in Europe, and then they tried, decided to like have African people and have them not be like African, just like look African outside mm-hmm. of Europe, then they created a whole new concept of race, which is like, and so like this concept of race that they created is just a concept to like sustain division and ethnocide. And so like a key thing that happens is within like America's ethnocidal language, they'll just try to say everything that like black people do is bad and that black people are bad 
and that we're not good at stuff and blah, blah, blah. And, and if you're an African-American, like that'll hurt. Like that'll make you feel bad. You don't want to yeah. think that you're bad. And what you'll want to do is like prove that your black is good and it's not bad. And that black yeah. is good and black is great and black is da, da, da. And like, I totally get why you would do that. Like that just makes sense. But like you're, you're countering the, the negative language of ethnocide with like positive ethnocidal language. Like, mm, like, right. the, like the construct of, of sticking to like this fake notion of the race that you are and like the fake notion of like the white race is just as fake. Like they're both like mm -hmm. just constructs to sustain division over to divide. Here. Right. Yeah. That's not going to like create the solution, but it will make you feel better within like a perpetually oppressive place. <laughs> and so like stuff like yeah. that, it's, it, it's everywhere. You know, that's, that's really interesting. Um, Talk to me about a little bit about how like, you know, the oppressed people are kind of like the core of the culture. You know, we've talked about them being like oppressed to a point where, you know, they need to stay in a place in order to sustain, you know, the government and the body and the society that they've established. But like, there's also kind of like a, hey, we don't like you, but we love everything that you that you bring to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a real good way to say it. It's kind of, you know, if you look at slavery, like they all hated the slaves, but they really loved all the work they did. All that money right. that they made, they thought that was great. And so this dynamic holds true in ethnocide. And ethnocide was like created to have that dynamic. And mm -hmm. so one of the key things to think about is, you know, we talk about like division based on labor and income and all that kind of stuff. But the, 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 perpetu the perpetrator of ethnocide what they're doing for their to oppress is the destruction of culture. And so they have a culture that's based on destroying the culture of something else, somebody else, and um, finding a way to profit off of that. So if we can, so if the perpetrators can destroy African culture and make it so that these African people are just like bodies that they get to like oppress forever and they don't, you know, they don't have culture, they're not able to like sustain their culture because they're constantly being oppressed. Now these people will make money or something, you know, like that's, that's the game that they, they created. But for the oppressed person, like the oppressed person, the ethnocide, like they can't live off of exploiting other people. Like that's just not something that's at their disposal in, in America. And so they have to live how human beings have always tried to live by creating culture. And culture is really just like a group of people in a particular place making the stuff they need to survive and right. hopefully surviving in that place forever. Like that's the idea. And so most places, that's how you create culture. Colonizers, European people had this horrible idea that they were going to survive via exploiting their neighbor all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a, a relatively... Uh, it's not new because like monarchs and stuff always did stuff like that. But you, at this scale, it's like unprecedented. So anyways, yeah. so what ends up happening is that uh, the ethnocide creates a really vibrant, resilient, tough, unique culture because you have to survive. You, like you, that's what you have to make. If you live in a place where people are always trying to you know, oppress you and you have to survive, like your culture is going to be pretty resilient. It's going to be pretty innovative. 
Um, yeah. And it's gonna, you're gonna create stuff that you're gonna be quite proud of because everything is against the likelihood that you'll make anything because you're being oppressed all the time. So it mm-hmm. makes sense to be pr- prideful in that. But the dynamic is, is once that culture gets to a point where it could create equality or challenge the status quo of ethnocide, then the, the perpetrators of ethnocide will uh will do everything they can to destroy it or take it away. Yeah. So say it's Tulsa, Oklahoma, we'll burn that place to the ground. But at the same time, say say you uh you created a dish. Say, you know, the they gave you all the scraps and, mm-hmm. and the culture made this this really fabulous meal out of the scraps that, you know, white people gave you. White people, like lobster. Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. What lobster used to be like the cockroach of the sea to white people. Right. Once they find out that that stuff's delicious, they're going to go fantastic. And then they'll take it. And Run it up. <laughs> they'll take it. They'll use their money. And be like, look at what we made. And next thing you know, like that cultural item that you had, it's gone. It's now, it's now in the space of like the decultured. And so, right. and so there's a paradox for the ethnocide in that you are perpetually oppressed and that oppression means that you will also have to make your own culture like that's unique and distinct from that of the oppressor but you'll have and due to that you'll have a lot of cultural icons you'll have a lot of people to be proud of you have a lot of people that america will like lean on to for morality because like you know, mm-hmm. the oppressors aren't going to create those people. They're going to create people that are like rich because they own oil companies and stuff like that. But, you know, they're not going to create a Martin Luther King. Like, that's just not, right. they're not going to create yeah. a Barack Obama. Like, just not. not right. Not on purpose. <laughs> right. Not on pur- Exactly. That's just not a thing. So it's this weird dynamic where, you know, you'll, you'll have, you'll, your people will be the icons that will provide like the cultural and moral fabric of the society, but that's will be due to like systemic oppression. You know, that's such a crazy like cycle of false progress is I guess how I think of it. Because, you know, we're essentially shaped by everything that we are, you know, our, when you said like innovation and resilience, it's like, you know, every time we make it through something, we are something new and we've created something new for the world that it's like, you know, when you think about how our racial tension has just progressed in our nation, it's like every time we've kind of innovated in the way that we can get what we want from our government and and our policies and from our communities, there's like a new wrench from the ethnocider that's like thrown at us to like, you know, throw things off. And yeah. You could say that goes from like slavery into reconstruction. And then that turns into just Jim Crow laws, which turns into the civil rights movement, which turns into drugs infiltrating the community, which is now turning into just systemic racism, just stop all money progression, you know? Yep. And to look at the people that make it through that, it's like, wow, those are our celebrities. Those are your Oprah's. Those are your Jay-Z's. Those are your Will Smith's. Those are Barack Obama's. Don't forget you're like, man, LeBron, throw on LeBron, the athlete, the moral compass. Exactly. And, you know, to 
we look at them at, at beacons, but it's also interesting because, you know, to get that far and then to sit up and say, you know, wow, I've, I've overcome, you've actually invested in the system in so many different ways by that point, you yep. know? And, and to me, that that's like, um, that's really crazy mind boggling. And then to think um, that also turns me back around to how we look at the moral compass, like you said, it's like, when we have an issue in our community, we look to say that we need a leader, we need someone to lead us. And we need that one person. So we want LeBron to say something. We're like, where's Barack to like, say something to this man right now. And I wonder, one, I'm, I'm thinking of how many other communities rely on that, like we do in the black community, like some one person to speak for us or like, just rally behind that or yeah you know like yeah you know like it's how does, like the black community has an interesting situation because we've like the civil rights struggle of the of the 60s is still like a defining cultural moment where we are we we are accustomed to having leaders and mm-hmm. you know like the ideas that we we have people that's can, that can speak for our community and I think to a certain extent that expectation is not unwarranted, but it's like, it's just, that's rare, you know, like it's not, it's not common that you have leaders as, as incredible as the 1960s, you know, like that's, right. it's not necessarily going to happen every like 15 years or so, but like, that's, that's how we, that's the structure that kind of was formed in our minds at least about how change can get created so like we need another one of those another one uh, another one of those uh, another martin you know another another malcolm something like that and so i don't have you know see a a fault in that desire but you know i don't think the white community doesn't need that <laughs> like not at all right we know that <laughs> they don't need leaders they they have all the money <laughs> like right like, right. like if it's, if the system's kind of rigged where like it's going to work out for you no matter what you don't really need a leader uh you just need some guys yeah, like, you don't you just need someone that's not going to break the corruption uh um, right and that's that's kind of the money flowing right it keeps yeah. the oppression flowing You're right we, we need a leader and you know and we we need that moral narrative because like america doesn't depend on that moral narrative as much mm-hmm. as we like to think we do like America likes the idea that we're just like inherently good and moral as a society. And if you just like, right. This happen, like good stuff will happen. Like, that's just like the craziest idea. That's like, that's like me thinking if I'm, Oh, I'm in good shape. And then I just don't work out. Right. Not, not in good shape. You guys do the actions, but no, I, I think we need the, I think we have a, a natural like yearning for those leaders and it, it makes sense that we would have it. The key thing is, you know, as we progress, getting new language and, and new perspectives on how to understand what's what's happening. Like, you yeah. know, I don't, like the word ethnocide, like, I, you know, like I, can't, I found it and slash came up with it pretty recently. And, you know, the struggles and the work that people have been doing for generations was clearly impactful in having me, you know, right. the word. So, you know, maybe maybe leadership looks different now or something. Like, I don't know. But we are the people yeah. that come up with the culture 
and like the moral foundation of the society. Like that's kind of the, the job. It's really interesting because in, in you saying it like that, it's almost like we're the results of that innovation. Like you our know? generation? Like our generation or even like us doing this right now, we're the results of that innovation and the resilience in terms of like you had to be shaped by everything that came before you and all of that to even be led to coming up with the word ethnocide and even pursuing the work. Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, so this also speaks to just kind of like how America destroys culture. We're like everyone with a sustainable culture knows that like the previous generation their knowledge, their wisdom, their experiences, go to the next one, go to the next one. And that each generation should be influenced and be a continuation of what happened before them. That's right. just culture. That's just, that's just baseline. What that's the traditions, world, right? That's, that's what it is. Like what the world's done forever. The U.S. tries not to operate like that. The U.S. tries mm-hmm. to operate like each new generation is like this new magical thing that's better than their parents. And... We don't need yeah. that stuff in the past. Like we got, look at this iPad, look at this technology we have. We're on something new. I don't need to listen to you, grandpa. You know, like America has that crazy yeah. narrative. And so like, I don't understand how anyone could think that makes any sense, but America has told everyone that it does. And so now black people, we like just do the basic cultural stuff, which is this is what happened to my parents. This would happen to my grandparents. This would happen to my great-grandparents and all of those experiences. And I use them to shape how I am today. You know, like it's all, they, they continue the narrative. You know, we, we learn from each previous generation and that shapes how we are as people. And, you know, the more I look at my family or my ancestors and learn, learn about them, they all just seem like good people. That like it wouldn't make yeah. sense for me not to learn about them. Like I'll say, white people have a completely different pr- problem than black people because, you know, when they look at their ancestors, it's a high likelihood that they're gonna find some like not that nice people, like people that they wouldn't want to hang out with today. You know, like if yeah. if a white person today went and found their ancestor who was alive in like the 1930s, they probably wouldn't want to hang out with them today. Yeah, you run you run a chance of. <laughs> you don't want to hear yeah you just like you might just teleported just a mega racist to the future yeah if i go if i if i get in a time machine and i bring some ancestor back from like the 1820s bring them today pretty good chance they're gonna be a good person you know (laughs) i'm sure there's a lot more decency there um that's interesting to think about you know as we wrap up you know that just made me think about how the united states is just written with disconnection between the between generations between as time goes on between communities it's just no you're not tied to that anymore no you're not tied to this anymore no you're not tied to that so you get like you said as generations go on i don't want to be like the last community i don't want to be like the people that came before me or we don't need any of that that came before us you know everything is new and innovative where it's like there is a each one teach one we bring into the past of this but because you see it in every other culture. I think my question to like leaders was kind of rooted in that. Like I think other communities kind of rely on each other because the culture is within each other. Whereas the culture here is this connection and individuality. So all of that, all all that is tied together. So cool. Well, you know, any last words on ethnocide? Yeah, it's, I I guess what I would 
I'd add is you can think about it quite a bit about the various, you know, ethnocide, the, the culture that's so vibrant that comes from the ethnocide, you know, we should be proud of that as black people. Yeah. We are like, you know, the main ethnocide in America, I'd say. But the key thing is like that pride that we have in our culture, we have to have a, a thought, a conversation about what does our culture look like beyond ethnocide? Because that, you know, if we keep, if we have narratives about taking pride in the struggle or take pride of like making it from the streets to this place, da da da, da like that's a narrative of a culture that's still within like an oppressive system and you just survive within oppression opposed mm-hmm. to like surviving and excelling beyond that oppression because you've you've changed the dynamic and we've tried that clearly like the civil war and reconstruction was a really legitimate attempt at completely like radically changing the nature of American society by, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to just shatter ethnocide. And I think as we, you know, now are trying to envision how to be more liberated, uh, empowered, equitable people, we should look at how profound the progress that America made in the 1860s was like, I think the Mm -hmm. African-American, you know, the black population at the time was like 20% of the country. The constitution had 12 amendments. And in the span of like eight years, 12 years, we added three new amendments to 12, which is like, that's a pretty big jump. That's a lot of stuff. And we, America gave citizenship and freedom and voting rights to 20% of the population. Like, yeah, that's huge. That's a game changer. Like if we're talking about doing the stuff as black people that could shatter ethnocide, it's bigger than like our current discussion. Like, you know, the notion, especially if you think of like, the other people, the other communities of color that are that are the ethnocides too, uh, they just you know no one knows it because the word isn't like well known. But you know, like I think there's like 11 million undocumented Americans. Yeah. We haven't, you know, there's not a, a large advocacy for a pathway to citizenship for those people. But 11 million out of 330 million people that's not even close to 20%. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and if we're trying to make some radical changes, why don't we think about constitutional amendments? You know, if we did it equal to like what Reconstruction did, we'd be talking about like seven new amendments, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, I, part of the concern I have regarding like, the ethnos idea is when you create such vibrant culture and you have artists and, and, you know, moral figures and athletes and all sorts of significant people doing great work. And you can see that you're providing the comp- the, the strength for the society in many ways, you can always be too prideful in those accomplishments and not yeah. think even bigger. And I think that next level of yeah. bigger is like the pride that exists beyond ethnocide opposed to the pride that exists within it 
and clearly, you know, you have to get this level to get to the next one. But yeah. if, you know, and so I think that's just like a key thing. Thank you for that. I think that sums it up very well, um, that last part you gave. So um, thank you, Mr. Barrett Holmes Pittner, for your word today, Ethnocity. We'll be back next week with another word, um, which we won't announce at this time, but um, I'm sure you all will tune in. But yeah, you know, um, my name is Bukhari Ahmed Ibrahim, also known as OG Baka. You can follow the Sustainable Culture Lab at scl.community on all social media platforms and www.scl.community online. We have some new updates coming to the website. Um, so we hope that you all go and check that out. Um, so with that being said, we'll talk to you all next time. Talk to you later. Thanks. Peace.